Congress. Morning, everyone. As usual, you can see about 10 rows back, and then it's just blinded. But, uh, so hopefully all the good-looking ones are at the front this morning. So, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah, no, I hope, uh, hope everybody's well after the summer holidays. Um, it's been always a busy time, isn't it? Everybody's out of their normal routine. And uh, Helen and I have certainly been busy. We, um, um, many of you know our eldest son's wife, uh, Rebecca, uh, had to have a craniotomy. She had a tumour that had started to regrow uh, near her optic nerve, and so she's had, uh, had that removed. And thank God, and thank you for all of your prayers. It's, it, it's gone perfectly well, the, the surgery. Uh, they did a CT scan, and uh, there was no tumour left at all. doesn't need radiotherapy, and the consultants expected that they wouldn't be able to get it all because it was so close to the optic nerve. So, uh, you know, praise God for that. She's doing really well. And um, just very tired, as you'd expect after... It's a bit like having a major head injury. And um, uh, so the interesting thing is Helen and I have been looking after three beautiful children <laughs> uh, quite a lot this summer, which is why we haven't perhaps been around quite as much as normal. And, uh, you know, when you... Uh, we had three kids ourselves, but it's amazing how as you get older you forget what it's like. And uh, especially when they're all in holiday mode. And uh, grandparents are only there for their pleasure and entertainment and sustenance. So from the moment they wake up, pretty much, to the time they go to bed, we are just full on in. It's like, they call me caca, because my eldest grandson couldn't say grandpa, and uh, either that or he knew Spanish and knew it was a joke, because it means poo in Spanish. <laughs> so uh, so my, I'm called caca, and then grandma, and it's like every, every day, it's like, caca, can we do this? And grandma, can we do this? And normally it's the food with, uh, food with Helen, and uh, playing football or entertainment with me. Um, but we were so busy, uh, and then, you know, by the time they go to bed, we're just like, oh, <laughs> you know, it's just exhausted. But it's great fun. They're seven, five, and two, so it was, uh, it's been really good fun, and praise God that everything is going so well. Um, but, you know, as I get older, I've become more of a creature of habit, and I like my routines, and, uh, uh, and of course, that all goes out the window uh, when you have grandchildren, uh, you know, and I thank God, I'm, you know, I've realized that God knows and understands because I found it very difficult to spend much time with God. You know, there just wasn't much time, full stop. Uh, so I wasn't reading the Word in the way I normally would or praying as much as I normally would. It was more like, oh, quick, uh, help, Lord, give me energy was the main prayer. And, um, but, it's, uh, but God doesn't mind. He knows. He understands that. And uh, so we've had a, an interesting um, and fun summer and uh, we're back up again in another week or so um, to, uh, to help out. But, uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's interesting. So I hope your summers have been uh, fun like ours and perhaps a little bit less tiring. Um, but I have actually, since they've uh, been away a bit, I've actually been reading Kings again, and especially about King Solomon. And uh, his story is quite amazing. You know, obviously, his father was this incredible man whose heart for God uh, was so evident, and God even references how much he loved him, uh, even though he was a sinner like us and, and uh, a murderer and an adulterer, but he loved him. And then he, so he had this amazing warrior father, and then King Solomon uh, prayed for wisdom, and, uh, and he was the wisest man on earth. He was the richest man on earth. Uh, he was so knowledgeable. He knew all sorts of things, um, and he was able to build the temple that his father wanted to honor God, a place for God to dwell in the nation. 
And um, he dedicated this when it was ready to the whole nation. And it was quite an incredible passage. If you read it, it's in 1 Kings chapter 8, 22 and 24, if we can have that up. And it says, Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the whole assembly of Israel, spread out his hands towards heaven and said, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants, who continue wholeheartedly in your way, you have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised and with your hand you have fulfilled it as it is today. You know, so that's amazing, isn't it? And throughout his reign as king, a long reign, not as long as uh, Elizabeth, but uh, a long reign, the nation was blessed. There was peace, there was prosperity, uh, there were alliances with all sorts of people, and it was a, a real time of blessing for the nation of Israel, for God's people. And then, um, as you read about how things go when he's older in his life, and this was the wisest man, probably the most knowledgeable man, and certainly the wealthiest man around. And this is a salutary lesson for those of us who've uh, considered just for men at some point in our lives. Even with all of his wisdom and knowledge, he turned away from following God wholeheartedly. Everything he knew, everything he'd experienced, the blessing of God in his life and upon the nation and upon his rule and reign. And he allowed foreign gods to be worshipped in the land. And in uh, chapter 11 of 1 Kings and verses 1 to 4, it says, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. This is the next bit. It's incredible. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And you might say, well, what? not surprisingly, his wives led him astray. Um, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after God, other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David, his father, had been. Yeah, and my title is Don't Let Your Love Grow Cold. Uh, Today, that's what I'm talking about. And, you know, somehow Solomon, with the example of his father, the, the example of what God had done for him and the nation, still let his love grow cold. And... um You know, it is quite plausible, isn't it, really? If you had 700 wives, I'm talking to men here who are married, do you think that might be a little bit of a distraction? And uh, plus 300 concubines. And initially I thought, oh, it's just lust. This guy must have been just, even in his old age, on it, as it were. And and then I realized that actually it probably wasn't that because I'm not very good at maths, but I can work out that actually you do not need 700 wives or 300 concubines and it was probably a bit like, uh, you know, like billionaires today, and they'll have three super yachts. They can only be on one at any one time, but it's just because they can, isn't it, really? And I think it might have been a bit like that. Maybe just a sign of great wealth was you had loads of wives and, uh, and concubines. 
Um, so what happened to Solomon over that time? What had distracted him? And we don't really know, and we know it was the women and, uh, and so on, but you know, how did he let slip that passion and zeal that he had from that point where he was before the nation, dedicating the nation and the temple to God? How did that come to a place when he's older? And so looking at the gray hairs in here, don't get too relaxed in your faith and in your walk with Jesus. How did that happen? I mean, it doesn't really say, maybe his ego, you know, if you've got people adoring you all the time, a bit like, you know, our so-called celebrities in our culture, maybe you start to think, yeah, maybe I am really cool, maybe I'm amazing, Uh, all that sort of stuff. Uh, And maybe that's what it was, and then he had uh, enough distraction, uh, and then slowly but surely, it doesn't say he totally lost his love for God, but he loved other gods as well, and his love waned. For his God. So it wasn't like he turned completely away from the God of Israel. But his passion, his zeal, his, his love for the one true God waned. You know, and then I think probably just one day he probably thought, gosh, how has this happened? From where I was to where I am now. I bet every now and then he just like, I never expected to be like this. Never expected to have lost my zeal for that God. You know, and even over those six weeks, really, of the summer where we've been so busy, it was quite interesting. As I wasn't able to spend as much time, you know, in prayer and uh, worship with you guys and stuff and fellowship, I'd started very subtly to notice my thinking changing. I'll be really honest. And I became more self-centered in my thinking, normally about, gosh, I need some sleep or whatever, where's the wine, that sort of stuff, you know. Um... Uh, and unless kingdom-minded. And that's only over a very short period. It was only very subtle. It was only small, you know, and, it's, and I was able to recognize it and, and you know, back into uh, having able to have time with God now. But I was thinking, you know, if that can happen over a very short period of time, maybe that's what was happening in Solomon's life, and that slowly but surely, it just, just sort of very subtly, he was taken away from his zeal and his love for God. You know, I could say to myself, you know, I've been a Christian since I was 16, so well over 40 years. And I have been a passionate follower of Christ all that time. And I could easily start to think, well, actually, I'm probably not vulnerable to falling away. I've been following him for 40 years. But I tell you what, if Solomon is an example, I need to be on my guard against those subtle changes. And you need to be on your guard, no matter how old you are, how long you've known Jesus, whether it's a recent relationship or a long-standing relationship with him. Don't let your love grow cold. The problem is that it starts off subtly and maybe not very influential in your life, but that leads to roads that then suddenly have a big impact on you and upon those who love you. And in Solomon's case, even the nation and his family. His family line didn't continue as God had planned uh, in ruling the nation because he fell away from God. So that's an individual perspective that you and I can sort of relate to a bit. Perhaps not the wealth and the wisdom, certainly in my case not the wisdom. But then also it can happen corporately. And I've seen this uh, as well, not just with individuals. I know individuals who've their love has waned and perhaps they're not even really following Jesus anymore over the years. 
but it can happen corporately. And I want to look at the Ephesian church as a bit of an example. And if we look at Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 15 and 16, it says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you and remembering you in my prayers. So Paul was really excited when he heard about the love and the passion and the zeal in the Ephesian church. And this was fantastic, you know, just what we'd all hoped for. But then if you go to Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 to 6, when God is speaking through John to the churches, he says, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So it's not just individuals who can miss the point. It can also be a corporate thing for churches, for congregations. You know, this church had become really theologically sound, but had lost the passion in their relationship with God. And this is really serious, you know, so much so that it gets mentioned in the book of Revelation. And I'm quite sure that there have been many theologically sound churches who are dedicated to their religion, if you like, for many years. And even in Wales, you can see these great big chapels that were built. And you think, gosh, there must have been passion and zeal for people to be willing to dip into their pockets that much. And it must they're big, so they've been full of people in love with Jesus and in love with God the Father. And now most of them are empty. And most, or maybe they have a handful of people attending on a regular basis. So somewhere, somehow, they have lost their love and let it go cold. You end up then just with a bit like the Ephesians in a way, doing good, what appear to be good things on the surface, they're right things, morally right, but with no passion, with no love, no zeal. Do you know, there's probably, uh, both individually and corporately, there's probably loads of reasons why this can happen. Satan looks for each of our weaknesses, doesn't he? And so he'll try and pick up on an area that he can get at us, you know. And uh, uh, it could be, um, I've just thought of a few. I mean, it could be that you literally are outright rebellious and you decide, I want to live in a way that I know is wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway so, and suffer the consequences. So sort of rebellion to God is one. Um, Many people, unfortunately, get hurt in churches. And therefore, they won't expose themselves because they don't want to be vulnerable to being hurt again, to being part of a church. And so they isolate themselves a bit. And you, know, and, uh, and you can understand it. It's not right, and it's not helpful for them, actually. But you can totally understand how Satan will use different things for different people to try to take away that first love, that passion, and that zeal for God. 
think some people also get to the point where actually they love the church more than they love God. You know? And that can be modern, charismatic, Pentecostal type churches as well as very traditional high Anglican or Catholic churches. It doesn't matter. It's all religion, uh, just dressed up differently. If you love that and not God, you're in trouble as well. But there are two reasons I felt that the Holy Spirit wanted me to speak on, particularly today, so in a bit more detail. Um, have those up, please. So isolation is the first one, and good works is the second one. So I'm just trusting God that this is right for, for today and for these, uh, this time. And maybe for people who are watching online, um, this first one of isolation, I think, is particularly for you, um, or for some of you, not all of you, obviously. Now, we know that Satan loves to separate us from the body of Christ. We're not meant to be individuals. When you become a Christian, you are baptized into the name of Jesus and into his family, but also into the church. So we are meant to be we are designed to be integrated to be to actually to be in relationship with one another if you're not here not part of the church you're missing out on everything that god has placed within the individuals in the church and also the church is missing out for all the things that god has placed in you so we're in a real um an interesting time after covid and it was amazing how God turned bad into good and, and all the churches, well, not all, but many churches got really good with technology and managed to get the news out, um, you know, through the internet in some form or other um, and so that uh, people could still feel attached and have teaching and so on uh, to the gospel, to the church. But it's also provided isolation, not just in the church, because God created us all needing each other, whether we're born again or not. But it has created a culture where we're used to being more isolated. And that is a dangerous place. It's a really dangerous place. Because when you are separated from the body, you're so much more vulnerable. You know, we know people, probably, uh, I'm not going to name anyone, but we know people who have, who have actually not come back into fellowship. And I bet they watch regularly uh, online about, you know, watch services or, you know, Christian things. But what they're missing out on, and this is perhaps the sort of similar thing that God did with Solomon, is he's starting to just chip away at what is right and how God created us to be and how we're supposed to be in fellowship, united together as one body. And then you're actually in a dangerous place. If this is you. You're in a dangerous place. If you're isolating yourself for whatever reason, you are in danger because you need to be part of the body. You see, Jesus is the head of the body. Now, I've got a head. It's quite a big one, unfortunately, but there we go. I wish it was full of brains rather than just big. But if you separate my head from my body, my body's in trouble, isn't it? If you chop my hand off, actually, the rest of me will still function. It, won't, it will be less than it should have been. But if you chop my hand off, the rest of my body, as long as you stitch it up and I don't bleed to death, I'll still keep going, won't I? but my hand will eventually shrivel up and rot. And that's, that's pretty much the analogy that's going to happen if you isolate yourself from the church. 
you are in great danger if you separate yourself from the body of drying up and eventually rotting. So I know this is quite a tough message, really, but uh, there we go. I can only give what I think God has told me to say. And I got that little glimpse over the summer of just how quickly your mindset can start to change. So I'm looking at uh, people online. Uh, well, not really. I'm looking at me, looking at the screen. But I'm thinking, if you regularly are watching online when you could come to this church or some other church, physically be there, I would just want to encourage you to go, to be connected so that you don't get cut off and dry up. You know, and if you're still coming along but you've been a Christian a long time, don't be like Solomon and get complacent. Don't get complacent. Keep that passion going. So the second, the second uh, area to look at, and this is a bit of an odd one, is good works. Because, you know, God surely created uh, good works for us to do. We know that. It's in Scripture. And this is quite a subtle, uh, subtle one that, that is really evident. I've seen it all my Christian life. Um, because when you're passionate and zealous for God, you want to serve him. So what you do is you end up doing good things, as God intended. The trouble is, and a culture in most churches that I've been associated with, is that actually if you show willingness and passion and zeal, they will suck you dry unintentionally because not everybody's like you. It's about 20, this is the 80-20 rules. Anyone hands up if you know the 80-20 rules? It's one of, of life. Yeah, yeah. Generally, 20% of people do 80% of the work, and it's the same in business. Quite often, you'll have 20% of your clients give you 80% of the business. I don't know why. It just seems to work that way. So in churches, the danger is if you're one of the 20%, they're so grateful to have some people that they will say, yeah, no, that's great. Come along. Yeah, you can, uh, you can do the help on Sunday morning. You can, you can help sweep up. You can help in the kitchen. You can help with evangelism. You can do this, and you can do that. And we need to guard against this. Not because any of those things are wrong, but the trouble is you can get so busy doing the good works that you end up having no time for Jesus. And I think pastors, and Chris, you, you must know loads of pastors where this has happened. Pastors is the worst. Anyone in full-time ministry, the people who work here as well, if you're not careful, there's no time for God because you're so busy doing all the stuff that is good. So be wary, and I would ask you to challenge yourself. If you're really, really involved in this church, or if you're watching online, you're really involved in other churches, are you having time for God himself? Or is, are you so busy doing his things and so busy doing stuff that you've got no time for God? Holy Spirit, I ask you to speak now to people who may be in this position. Convict them. And show them the way that they can be free from that. Because that is another plan of Satan. Why, why do you think pastors burn out? I mean, there's lots of reasons. Probably people like us in their congregations is one of them. But, um, but a lot of it is they don't have enough time for their relationship with God. So they're not getting fed. They're not just relaxing and enjoying him. They have, and their zeal will go, but they're busy, busy, busy. And they just burn out.
It's not what God intends. It's not what he wants. And so many of them will fall into sin, won't they? Or, you know, either financially or sexually or just get burnt out. And a lot of it is because they're losing their first love. And it's a subtle thing that over time just gets worse and worse. Do you know, and that's a, something that can happen corporately as well, not just individually. You, as a church, we could get so busy, or churches, in doing good stuff that, again, we forget to just take time to just spend time corporately with God. You know, as I was praying about this and thinking about it, you know, and I'm so pleased the prayer meeting's starting up again because that's one place where we can spend time together with God, hear from him, and bring everything that's on our heart to him. That's really important. But I was thinking we ought to also maybe have a worship night where you just come and adore him. Because what I found is that when I'm thankful to God and when I start praising him, I, I feel really passionate about him. You know, I don't know it's only feelings, but it, we are holistic. We're built with spirit and body, aren't we? And mind and emotions, all that all mixed up. God knows that. And it's important that we spend time worshipping our king, giving thanks. You know, Sundays are great, but, you know, we cram a lot into a Sunday, don't we? You know, we've got worship, we've got a word, we've got notices, you know, and fellowship, and, and, and that's, that's really important. But maybe we should have times where we just pray, like we're going to do this next week, and maybe we should have other times where we just worship God and let him do whatever he wants to do. Because then I think our love corporately is far less likely to grow cold. So, how do we try not let our love grow cold? I've mentioned the first thing, really, which is perhaps we need corporately to come together and give thanks and worship. But I think individually, that is crucial as well. If you continually give thanks to God for what he's given us, for our salvation, for our friends, our family, our very life itself, if you have a grateful heart, it's amazing that your love stays much more passionate, certainly in my experience. Actually, it's the same with Helen, really. If I take Helen for granted and all the things that she does for me, and if I don't spend much time with her, she starts to annoy me a bit, got to be honest, as opposed to all the time for Helen the other way around. But, uh, but when I actually recognize who she is and what she does for me and for other people, and I spend time with her, I just love her more and more. You know, and that's just a reflection of how God wants it between us and him. And so we need to spend time with him, giving thanks, recognizing who he is, what he's done. I think corporately one of our responsibilities is actually to challenge our brothers and sisters when we can see they're off the boil. Try and get it early rather than later. Not easy to do, especially if you're British. We don't like doing that sort of stuff, you know. But actually, if you love someone... If you've got kids, you tell them off, don't you? Because you love them. You want them to grow up in the right way. We're a body. We're responsible to one another and to God for each other. So if you can see someone is going off the boil, do it in a lovely way. Don't go and beat them over the head or anything. But you know, just say, look, you know, how are you doing? Do you think you're as passionate about your love for God as you once was? 
whatever comes to you, I'm sure the Holy Spirit will give you the right words, but be courageous to uh, hold each other to account because we need it. We need each other. Perhaps every now and then it's good to just ask the Holy Spirit to show us how we're doing. Just say, Holy Spirit, am I, is there anything in my life that's getting in the way of my zeal and passion for God, for the Father, or for Jesus? And then having the courage to act if we get something revealed. Another thing that the Christians are terrible at generally, and, and we put on our happy, smiley Christian faces, don't we? So, and I can see many happy, smiley faces. And um, sometimes we're not happy and smiley, but we pretend we are. And we need to learn to be real. So if someone's, again, it's a British culture thing, isn't it? How are you? Oh, I'm fine. Oh, my head's just fallen off, but I'm fine, really. You know, it's a, and it's ridiculous, isn't it? But in the church, we should not be like that. If someone says to you, how are you doing? You should say, well, actually, I feel rubbish. Or I'm really struggling or whatever. Because we're loved, it's a safe place. I've never, ever been real about how I've been feeling with other Christians and been hurt. Satan tells you you're going to be because they'll reject you or they'll ridicule you or whatever. But whenever I've had the courage to be real, when I'm struggling with something or, or whatever, or even in being in sin and had to confess it, I've never had anything except for love and acceptance and support. And so be brave. Be brave. Don't put on a smiley, happy face unless you're feeling smiley and happy. So I don't know where you are currently in your relationship with God, how the passion is burning within you or not, whether it's a little ember or whether you've got a fire raging at the moment. I don't know. But I pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to each one of you through what I've said. I believe it is what God wanted to bring. And if you're in a place where you know that things aren't quite where they should be, then I just encourage you to, to come back. Perhaps maybe a bit later we'll come up and we'll have a time of prayer for anyone who needs it and wants it. But actually, yeah, don't let your love grow cold. Because we're living in very difficult times. Chris was saying, you know, the spiritual turbulence that's going on at the moment. And we know that Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, verses 9 to 14, he says that, you know, these end days before he returns, we will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. We'll be hated by all nations because of him. And at that time, many will turn away from the faith and betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. And then this line's really, really interesting. Because of the increase in wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Because of the increase in wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Wow. We need to be on our guard. Don't get complacent. Keep doing the things that keep the fire burning. Because we're encouraged, aren't we, to, to fan into flame what God has put within us. That's our bit. We have to fan it into flame. God doesn't do that. He puts the fire there. We've got to fan it. Encourage, challenge, and support one another. 
don't get isolated or so busy with good works that you've got no time for the king. You know, our queen, uh, Elizabeth, was an amazing example of someone who didn't let her love grow cold until she was 96. So with God's help, with his power within us, we can be just the same. We can let a fire burn, our passion, our love for him go on and on. So if this has spoken to you today and you'd like prayer, perhaps uh, you want to come, maybe the bank can come up and uh, start to play or uh, Dave, maybe just play on the keys. Um, and if you'd like to come up and then people can come up and pray with you. So if you feel that perhaps you've got a bit of an ember going but not much fire and you would like to have that reignited, then feel free to come up and uh, be prayed for. If you just feel you want to be refilled with the Holy Spirit because, you know, as, as we pour out our life, we need to be refilled. If you want to be refilled with the Holy Spirit, then also come up. And then also, if you, if you uh, aren't a Christian, you, you don't know Jesus personally, and you've been listening to this or watching it online, and you would like to become a Christian to follow Jesus for the rest of your life, to enter into a loving relationship with God. Then all you need to do is turn away from your current way of living where you're in control and say, I'm going to follow God's way now. That's called repentance in the church. Believe in him, trust in him and accept that Jesus Christ died in your place, that the sin that is in your life, the things that is a barrier between you and God, has been dealt with by Jesus. When he died on the cross, he took your sin. So there is no barrier anymore between you and God the Father. You can come into his presence totally forgiven forever and have a relationship with God that goes through this life into eternity as his son or daughter and if that's you and you would like to, uh, to have that life-changing event, today is the time to do it. And if you're online and uh, you would like to become a Christian and take that step, please get in touch with us so that we can encourage you and help you uh, as you take that step at the beginning of a new life, hopefully full of zeal and passion and love for God for the rest of eternity. Amen. Let's stand. Let's stand. What a beautiful reminder as we come to the second half of the year. Don't let our 